Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. We appreciate the value of a guide or a counselor when life is difficult, when life is challenging, when what to do, it's not obvious, or we want to make the most out of the precious life that we've been given. And so this is where we begin our Christmas series, His Name Shall Be Called. Leading up to Christmas, we'll see how God promised humanity's hope, wisdom, provision, and peace would arrive as a newborn. We'll see that in cultural darkness, there's actually a light to be celebrated. And we'll see how our Heavenly Father responded to the deepest desires of the human soul by sending His Son. And this series all centers on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. If we know this verse, maybe we remember it as for unto us. For to us, or unto us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you know this promise was given 800 years before Jesus was born? And it was a promise that there is more than the present spiritual and cultural darkness. That was true then and it's true now. Some of us see what's happening in our world. And there is a promise that there is more than the present spiritual and cultural darkness of today. So what did this prophetic statement, what, did, what happened as a result? It allowed the people who heard it and who read it to live in expectation, to live in hope, Despite what is happening around them, the hope of the world would arrive as a newborn. A child is born. Isaiah 9-6 promises the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. And, and the promise is wrapped in these names. And by names, we mean defining character qualities. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Over the next three weeks, four weeks starting today, we are going to look at each of these names, these character names of Jesus. Today we begin with Wonderful Counselor. So Isaiah gave this promise that would be fulfilled in Christ. And between the time when Isaiah gave the promise and when it was fulfilled in Christ, in the middle, eight centuries, eight hundred years. As we get into this, that can be a lot to get our mind around if we stop to think about it for a second. And maybe, maybe you had the honest question, maybe you have the honest question right now, did Isaiah know that he was forecasting the Messiah who would be born 800 years later? That's a long time to wait for a promise. It would not be fulfilled in Isaiah's lifetime, it would not be fulfilled in the lifetime of his children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. In fact, it would be more than 25 generations between when the promise was spoken 
and when the promise was realized. What we know is that Isaiah comes in the pages of history at a time when there was cultural division. The culture was divided. The people were divided. And this comes on, Isaiah comes in the pages of history when there was deep rebellion against God. And uh, to some of us, we'd say that sounds familiar. God gives Isaiah access in his day to the highest leaders of the region, including the king, King Ahaz. By all accounts, King Ahaz was a wicked king. He allowed idol worship. Under his leadership, there was a defiling of the temple. Isaiah did not lead in a God-honoring way, and the decisions he made led to the collapse of the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern half of divided Israel. When Isaiah writes, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and when Isaiah writes, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, Isaiah is speaking to a wicked king who's not thinking about 800 years from now. What was, on, what was at the front of King Ahaz's mind? Well, his kingdom was facing an imminent invasion from the northern kingdom and its ally, powerful Syria. When we look at the prophetic statements of the Old Testament, there is often a partial fulfillment of that prophecy close to the time when it was spoken. And it's possible that Ahaz's son, King Hezekiah, or Isaiah's own son, were partial evidence or partial fulfillment of the promises that God spoke through Isaiah. But virgin birth, mighty God, everlasting father, these promises could be fulfilled in no one else other than Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could and can bring to completeness these Old Testament promises. So it would be very understandable and possible and likely for Isaiah to have no idea to not have full understanding of the ultimate significance of the words that he spoke. If Isaiah were anything like me and and God downloaded these words into his heart and mind and said, I want you to speak these words to the king about how there's one who's coming who's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I, I might be like, you want me to say that? What does that even, what does that even mean? And, and, and God's saying, no, just, just say it. Just, and, and let me take care of what it's going to mean. What's true now, don't miss this. What's true, what was true then and what is true now, God often has a higher and greater purpose for what he does through people in the present. So we, we see life through the present lens and we think of the, the consequences or the outcome of our decisions, and, and it's hard, we, we think about how it impacts us now and maybe the months or even years to come, but God may be doing something through your decisions right now that he has impact in mind beyond your lifetime and my lifetime. We see a lesser parallel in art and music. There are paintings that were created by artists, and at the time of the artist's death, the paintings were unknown, hidden somewhere of no value, yet in the years and decades and centuries after the artist's death, the paintings have gained global significance, worldwide importance, and have come to have great value. There are musical pieces that were written by composers that at the time of the composer's death 
had little or no value, were not widely listened to or heard. Yet in the decades and centuries after the composer's death, these pieces of music have become known around the world. As you and I, as we honor God with our life and our decisions, he may have outcomes in mind that go beyond our lifetime. So Isaiah is speaking, and he may not have known the ultimate significance of his words, but God knew. When the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream about becoming the earthly father of Jesus, Matthew refers to what Isaiah gave us. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah 800 years ago. There, those who knew the words of the Holy Scripture, what we now call the Old Testament, those who knew the words in the time period between when they were given and when they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, this 800-year period, these 25-plus generations, there was mystery. There was mystery. There was hope, but there was mystery. There was hope because they were confident in the promise that God spoke through Isaiah, that one, who was, one was coming who would be wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Yet there was mystery. How and when is this going to be realized? So in that way, there is hope in the mystery. There is hope in the mystery. Now today, we live in the time in history after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yet today, we have a different hope in the mystery. Why is that? Because Jesus is coming back. We're confident in God's word that promises that Jesus Christ is returning. He is returning as a triumphant king. When he comes back, it's not going to be as a humble baby in a manger. The Bible predicts and forecasts and gives us confidence that Jesus is coming back in a triumphant way. Yet at the same time, at the same time, none of us could possibly imagine just how amazing this event is going to be. And we don't know when. We don't know when. In fact, Jesus himself says, concerning that day and that hour, who knows? Jesus said, no one knows. So if you read something where someone says they know, remember Jesus said, no one knows. Uh, How about the angels in heaven? Jesus actually said, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So there's hope. There's hope that Jesus is going to return, yet there's mystery We don't know when, and we cannot imagine exactly how this is going to be experienced. So there is hope in the mystery. Troubles of the present world are not the end of the story, praise God. Mystery of the Old Testament becomes clear through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. What was hidden becomes clear. Did Isaiah know the magnitude of his prophetic statements? I like what theologian Paul Copen says. He puts it this way. We should expect that the human author's intentions were narrower than what the divine author, capital A, had in mind as he inspired them. We should expect that the human author's intentions were narrower than what the divine author, God, had in mind as he inspired those human authors. Copen says that Old Testament words are like an acorn that become a full oak tree in the New Testament. We see in an acorn the potential. In the New Testament, we see the oak tree 
The Old Testament prophets knew that they spoke for God, but it would be difficult for them to fathom how significant the words God gave them would eventually become. So Isaiah speaks, and he says, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today we focus on Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. In many translations, these are together as one describer, wonderful counselor. In some translations, there's a comma and they're separated, wonderful comma counselor. When we hear counselor, maybe we think of a camp counselor, like from summer camp. Maybe we think of a school counselor that helps you to plan your classes, to lay out what you need to accomplish in your classes before you graduate. Lawyers in courtrooms are referred to as counselor. A person that we go to see in times of trouble, a marriage counselor, a behavior counselor, a drug counselor. Well, here Jesus is described as a counselor. So we'll see how Jesus is counselor. He is a leader worth following. We go to a counselor because they're supposed to give us advice or wisdom that is worth following. Jesus as counselor is a leader worthy of following. Jesus, as counselor, knows humanity, and he knows us individually. Jesus, as counselor, gives us the best way forward in challenges and difficulties. And not just counselor, wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. Isaiah calls out the people of his day. And in some ways, it's like Isaiah could show up today in 2022 and say the same thing. He calls out the people in his time because they were looking everywhere and to everybody except to God for solutions to their problems. And the people of his day, they were mad at God and they were mad at the government. And they were mad at God, but they were also rejecting of God, doubting of God, and rebelling against him. So, into this culture, Isaiah the prophet, the spokesperson for God, gives us this, Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this moment, I, Isaiah says, your hope is coming from an unlikely place, a newborn. This birth will bring hope into the world. The statement gives hope. You're looking around in this bad and wicked leadership, but the wonderful counselor is on the way. Seeing life through this verse, it brings optimism. And we know today that the way it is now is not how it always will be. With Christ, your hope is not dictated by the despair of the present circumstances or the darkness of culture embracing sin. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who's with us now and also is returning and is going to bring an end once and for all to the sin and wickedness of this world. How will this leader lead? He's going to lead as wonderful counselor. The child God promised through Isaiah is born. The son is given, and his name is Jesus. The word wonderful, it has been watered down. Merriam-Webster describes the downfall of the word wonderful this way. Wonderful once described the most astonishing occurrences. It is now decidedly less supernatural in the way that we use it. The way we use wonderful now is like a replacement for really good. That was a wonderful dinner. We had a wonderful time. 
Noah Webster, the man behind Webster's Dictionary, was crafting the first edition of the dictionary that is now so widely used. He's crafting Webster's first dictionary in uh, the 1800s. And in that dictionary, Webster, Noah Webster, defined wonderful. And as part, this is fascinating, as part of the definition of the word wonderful, he included a biblical reference. It's like, this, these are words to describe wonderful. And also, look at this Bible verse. Watch this. This is Noah Webster's original definition of the word wonderful. Wonderful, adjective. Adapted to excite wonder or admiration, exciting surprise, strange, astonishing. Job 42.3. That was printed in the dictionary. It's like Webster's saying, if you want to know what wonderful really means, I'm going to give you this idea and also open your Bible and look to Job 42.3 to understand the word wonderful. So let's look at Job 42.3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Things that are so good, they are beyond understanding. I, I can't even put this into words. Things too wonderful. I can't, I, they're undescribable. We cannot let the diminished use of the word wonderful diminish our appreciation for the greatness of Christ. Because we see wonderful, we use wonderful as really good. Well, Jesus is more than the really good counselor. He is the wonderful counselor, the overwhelming, the beyond understanding, the astonishing, exciting wonder. He's wonderful. What's wonderful about Jesus? Well, Jesus' conception is wonderful. Isaiah quoted by Matthew, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Matthew 1.23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I mean, think about that statement and that promise. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. How is that possible? That is astonishing. That is amazing. That is beyond natural. Wonderful. Jesus' healing power is wonderful, beyond natural explanation. Matthew fifteen thirty one. Look at this. So that the crowd wondered, not like what's going on here wondered, but like wonder, like I can't even believe I'm watching this. The crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. I mean, think about that for a minute. If you were in the fields and people were bringing their friends and their family from all over the region, and all of a sudden the mute are speaking, the lame are walking, the crippled are healthy, and the blind are seeing, what would your reaction be? Wonderful. Wonderful. Jesus' perfect life is wonderful. He lived a perfect life, a life without sinning even one time. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Wonderful. Jesus' resurrection is beyond human understanding. Think about this, okay? 
sometimes those of us who have been around for a while, we hear these things over and over again, and maybe they start to just be desensitized to how incredible they are. The Bible records that after Jesus was crucified, he was killed, he was executed as a criminal. This torturous death on the cross where nails were pounded into his hands and he was placed on the cross and died this death of incredible suffering. It was witnessed by many. And then he was placed in a tomb that was sealed with a giant stone never to be reopened. And yet days later, he appears alive and restored and healthy to his disciples. What would your reaction be? It's difficult to put into words, but Luke tries. The disciples were looking at the resurrected Jesus, Luke 24, 41. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. They disbelieved for joy. What is it? It's like, have you had these moments where it's like, I can't even believe what I'm seeing. It's so incredible. Maybe you've stood in front of our, one of our incredible Oregon landscapes as you look at the, the majestic mountains and, and how it meets the ocean. And you're like, I can't even, this is so incredible. I can't even believe what I'm taking in right now. Wonderful. Isaiah forecasted a leader that would be wonderful. Not in the really good sense, but astonishing and overwhelming. And let me just say, I apologize if I have ruined the word wonderful for you, like you're at lunch today with someone who wasn't in church, and they're like, wow, that was a really wonderful hamburger. <laughs> and in that moment, you're going to be tormented to either just let it slide or to say, could I just speak to you about that word for a second? Wonderful. Wonderful as it describes Jesus helps us to understand his qualification. The wonder of Jesus speaks to his qualification to lead us, to be our counselor. Do you know that there are leaders who are not always worthy of their following? Meaning people are imitating people as leaders and we shouldn't be imitating them. So leaders are not always worthy of their following, and not all leaders are worth following. Jesus, though, he is wonderful counselor. To seek counsel is to seek advice, to seek wisdom, and it's good to not just seek any advice, but to seek qualified advice. Seek qualified advice. Do you know that if, if, you have, if you're thinking about doing something, no matter how dumb or no matter how stupid it is, you can probably find someone to affirm your choice. And some of you have thought about doing something dumb and like this person says, don't do it. This person says, don't do it. This person says, don't do it. And then you find this person, oh, I think that's a pretty good idea. Just do it. And you have followed, you've, seek, you've, seek, so, you've sought someone who will affirm your bad decision. Bad counsel can ruin your life. Bad counsel can ruin your life. And some of you would say, been there, done that. Maybe you've received bad counsel, bad career counsel, bad relationship counsel, bad financial counsel. Maybe someone told you that you should be on this 
track to a job and it was bad. If we receive bad counsel, it can take years or maybe even decades to unravel and to unwind. Think about when Jesus walked the earth, what it would take for people to listen to him. What people would have to go through to be near Jesus. People didn't just go hear Jesus because they didn't have anything to do for the day. People dropped their daily lives. We read in the, in the Bible about the fishermen. Fishing wasn't their hobby. Fishing was their livelihood. They stopped fishing. They stopped earning their family income for the day. And there were no sick days then. They didn't just call in sick. They stopped their livelihood to go and listen to Jesus speak. If you were a farmer, if you, whatever occupation you had, you stopped your livelihood to go and be near Jesus. That's how much they craved the words of Jesus. And it wasn't because they wanted just more information. No, they came expecting that when Jesus spoke, it would make a difference in their life. Listen to this. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I love this. How does the Sermon on the Mount end? What did the crowd do after they heard the words of Jesus? Matthew 7, 28 and 29 tells us. And when Jesus finished these sayings, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Today, our access to the words of Jesus is so easy. Praise God. We can access Jesus today, the words of Jesus, with greater ease than at any time in world history. Some of us have a Bible app on our phone. Some of us have more than one. We, some of us have multiple Bibles in our house, multiple different translations. We have such ease of access to the word of God today, to the words of Jesus. And it's good. That is a good thing. But perhaps because access is so readily available, maybe we miss out on the rich value of his words. When we face a difficult situation, and maybe you're here facing a difficult situation today, you feel stuck, you feel lost, you feel like no one understands, what do I do? Would someone just tell me what to do? And so we say, what do my friends say about this? What do my parents have to say about this? What do my coworkers, classmates, teachers, mentors, what do they have, all have to say about this? Well, when in that equation do we say, what does Jesus have to say about this? Does Jesus come at the beginning? Before I ask anybody else, I'm going to see what Jesus has to say about this. Do we kind of get some ideas and then look in the word? Or is it like when nothing else seems to be working, then I may like open my Bible and see if the Bible has anything to say about this. I believe it is the desire of God's heart that we would first consult the words of Jesus. And yes, I see people in this room that you have given me wise counsel as other fellow believers and mentors in the faith. I'm, I'm thankful. You and I are thankful for wise people who speak advice into our life. But wise counsel must always line up with the word of God. The minute, the moment that counsel from someone else contradicts or conflicts with the word of God, then it ceases being good counsel. Then it becomes bad advice. Good advice, good counsel is always going to align with the word of God. Now, 
sometimes we think counsel and we think I need advice on how I can, my plan can come to, to, to be, my plan can come to pass. We don't seek the counsel of Jesus so that he can get behind our plan. We seek the counsel of Jesus so that he can lead us to be part of his plan. Jesus is the reliable, qualified leader worthy of following above all others. Maybe we've never quite thought of it this way before. We have today what people for eight centuries longed for. We have today what people for 800 years were wondering, how is this mystery going to be revealed? There was hope in the mystery, but we live on the other side of that mystery being revealed in Jesus Christ. Counselor. We open up the conversation today talking about a counselor, a guide with a qualified guide. We'll do things, we'll go places, we'll face challenges that we would not otherwise face or be willing to step into. Why? Because, not because we know what to do, but because they know what to do. And, and sometimes we're like, I just want someone to tell me what to do. I feel stuck. I feel forgotten. So we seek a counselor. When we seek a counselor, what are we, what are we doing? We're saying, I, I'm not sure how to do this. I'm, I've never been here before. If things go south, I don't know what to do. This life, my purpose, the challenges I'm facing, I'm, I can't figure this out all on my own. Well, what if we weren't supposed to figure it out all on our own? What if God actually designed it that way, that we weren't supposed to just figure it out all by ourselves? What if Jesus designed us? What if God designed us so that we would actually have need of a counsel that he could provide? And a counsel that was provided through the wonderful counselor. Not one of men, not one among many, but one counselor above all others, Jesus Christ. And talk about a counselor who knows you. You know, if you if you were to go to a human counselor, you wouldn't want them to just give you the same advice that they give everybody who walk through, walks through the door. You'd want them to be patient. You'd want them to get to know you. You want them to know your story before they tell you how to, to move forward. Well, listen to this. This is so good. John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Jesus knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. He already knows. He already knows. He knows what's in your heart, and there's no one better to guide you. Maybe you're here today, and this uh, has really spoken to something that you are directly facing right now. You feel stuck, you feel trapped, don't know what to do. Don't know the way out. Doesn't seem like there is a way out. Doesn't seem like there's a solution. What you're hearing from other people is contradictory and conflicting. And you're like, who do I listen to? And in a moment of honesty, you're saying, you know what? I've, I've looked in all these other places, but I actually have not stopped to actually open up the word and to see what the Bible has to say about this. And, and if you're new or it's been a while or you haven't been in church ever, you're thinking, man, Isaiah wrote words that came 800 years before Jesus, add 2,000 years to that between when Jesus was born and today. How, how is it possible that what was written so long ago could, be, could apply to my life today? It seems like they would be so outdated. 
People who live their life close to the word, meaning they make daily Bible reading part of their, their life, will tell you it's, it's incredible. Now, I'm not talking about the method like, okay, God, what do you have to say? I'm just going to open this up and let it fall on the ground and see where, what page it lands on. I'm talking about a daily Bible reading plan. People who live their life close to the word, this is what they'll tell you, and many are in this room. It's like you're, you're going through your daily Bible reading plan, and you have this life situation. And as you're going through the plan, it's like the words that were part of the plan for this day, it's like God knew that you were going to read that verse that day. It's, you, can't, there's, you can't explain it in the natural. It is a supernatural thing where God knew that you would be opening your Bible to those words that day as you faced that situation. I see heads nodding all over this place because you know that it's happened. And it's like, I know that this was written 2,000 years ago or more, but it's like God wrote this for me today. Why? Because God's word is alive and active. God's word is alive and active. In our final moments together, we were talking um, today about how a lot of people wait until it's too late to go to counseling. And I, I received the advice uh, from a wise pastor mentor. And it's wise advice, but I will admit I've not followed through on this. So that's my fault. He said, um, you should go to a marriage counselor once a year, no matter how healthy your marriage is. Because you are supposed to go to the doctor once a year for your annual physical, even if you're healthy. How often are you supposed to go to the dentist? Once every six months, right? Even if your teeth are healthy. And he says, why would we not apply that to our marriage? So often people wait until the marriage is on its last thread. And then it's like, let's go seek counseling. He said, he encouraged Jennifer and I, he said, uh, you should do marriage counseling, an appointment once a year as like a checkup. And we're talking about this before. So often we wait for counsel until it's too late. How often are we close to the word of God? Do we only open the word of God when all else fails? The counsel of God's word, I believe our heavenly father wants us to be close to that counsel, not just on our worst days, but God wants us to live close to that counsel every day. God wants us to live close to the counsel of Jesus Christ every day of our life because he is the wonderful counselor. Praise God. Would you stand with me in this place as we wrap up our time together? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we invite you to speak in this moment. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, move. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our wonderful counselor, to be a leader that we could follow, a leader whose advice is always trustworthy, never with wrong motive, 
always pure, always reliable. Father, you know the one who's here today. And it's like, they're feeling that, it's like, Pastor, did you read my text messages? Did you read my emails? It's like, this was, <laughs> this is directly what I'm up against right now. And I promise you, I did not read your email. I promise, did not read your text. That's what we call the Holy Spirit, preparing a message that's just for you today. And your heavenly father is saying, yeah, there's all these other voices out there. There's these blogs you've read. There's these advice columns. And your heavenly father is saying, it's, go, it's time to go back to the purity of the word of God. It's time to get back to the purity of the words of Jesus Christ. And yes, God may surround you with wise counselors, but do not forgo the word of God. Do not forgo the words of Jesus You may be here today and uh, you have tried everything else. You've tried all other paths. You've thought, if I can accomplish this, I'll be fulfilled. If I can get to this place, I'll have joy. If I can get to this place, then I'll be fulfilled. And what you found is that these other paths, they end up empty. And you know that you are here today for a purpose to hear this message because the deep longing of your heart is the wonderful counselor that is Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, your turnaround can happen in this moment. And church, it's a wonderful time to pray for the one who might be making this decision today. If it is your desire to align your life with your heavenly father, to come under the covering of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Then in this moment, a prayer between you and your heavenly father, an act of surrender. Father, I surrender to you. This surrender is not weakness. It is a act of humility and in that there is strength. You're saying, I cannot do this on my own. In fact, I, Father, I'm acknowledging that I was never supposed to do this alone. And so in your prayer, it may feel strange because it's been a long time since you've prayed. But you say, Father, I surrender to you today. I surrender to you today. And it's good to just speak that out loud. Father, I surrender to you today. I give my life to you. I've tried it on my own and it's come, it comes up empty. I see today that there's no way that I could ever do enough good deeds to win my way back into favor with you. Put that in your own words and say, Father, I'm tired of trying to be good enough. And I see today that that's not how it's supposed to be. So say, Father, I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. This is an act of repentance. It means telling your heavenly Father, I'm turning away. I'm putting in my past my life against you. And I'm turning my life toward you. I want to live my life for you. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. And it's a great moment to thank your Father, your Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the new life I received in Christ today. Father, we are grateful for a new life that happened in the house today. Father, thank you for the one who made a decision 
who made a decision, the most important decision of a lifetime, the decision to follow you, to surrender to your son, Jesus. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for hope. And Father, we pray today over the one who's struggling with a decision as they open your word this week. We believe that you are going to bring a clarity and it could possibly be in one simple sentence in your, in, that comes out of your word, out of the Bible. It's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then, Father, give your people the faith to act upon what you speak to them. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant, engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.